that song just really touches me because it's, it's like a testimony song to me. But 48 years ago today on Father's Day, while we stubbornly tried to refuse, God called us to himself. And uh, anyway, it's our birthday today. But Well, one, one evening during a violent uh, thunderstorm, our mother was tucking her small boy into bed. He was about to turn off the light when he asked with a tremor in his voice, Mommy, will you sleep with me tonight? The mother smiled and gave him a reassuring hug. I can't, dear, she said. I have to sleep with your daddy. A long silence was broken at last, and his shaky little voice said, Big sissy. <laughs> one, one other four-year-old boy was eating an apple in the back seat of his car when he asked Daddy, Why is the apple turning brown? His dad said, Because, his dad explained, after you ate the skin off off, the meat of the apple came into contact with the air, which caused it to oxidize, thus changing the molecular structure and turning it into a different color. There was a long silence, then the son asked softly, Daddy, are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the title of the sermon is called to be a warrior. And, I, I, and I, I wish I could get over to you all the impending danger that we're facing in the day and time in which we live. I know people talk about the church being under attack. But let me just say this to you. Your home is first above everything else. Your home is more under attack than the church. For they know if they can get to your home they can take the church also. We've got to be willing to stand in this day and time that we're living in. I want you to listen to this, and I, I, I call this call to be a warrior, and I believe that every man in here has been called to this. Now, I know many times that when we have, a, uh, when Father's Day comes, a lot of guys come and they say, well, what happened? Well, they, they bring you in here and they beat you up. And tell you all the things you're doing not doing. And I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to beat anybody up. But what I want to do is I want to try to encourage you as a father. I want to try to encourage you as a man. I want to try to encourage you as a grandfather in this. So I want you to first to turn over to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in there quite a bit. Genesis 1. And then I also want you to go to Ephesians. Genesis 1 and 2. And Ephesians 5.23. Now, so... so Listen what, listen what it says in Genesis 1, verse, uh, verse, 20, verse 27. It says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Verse 28 says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply till the earth and subdue, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air. Now also listen to what it says in, in chapter 2, verse 8. 
It says this. It says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Also, verse 15 through 17, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then also look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Let's pray. Well, Father, I pray simply today that you would be with us and guide and direct everything I say. Lord, may every person in here understand that my whole purpose here and what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to edify and build up people. And so, Lord, I simply pray that may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our redemption, you're our strength, you're everything, Father. We can't do this without you. So I ask you to be with us. God, direct everything I say today. We ask that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, unless you've been living in a cave, you know that your home is under attack. Especially if you are a home that is honoring Christ and his word. Before we men begin to celebrate our exalted positions, because I just read a a scripture that said uh, that uh, the husband, the man, is the head of the house. Uh, Before we celebrate our exalted position as head of the house, we need to understand the responsibilities that come with being the leader in our families. I think that would probably, if we could see that and see where this is heading, I don't think there would be a lot of ladies that would in any capacity or any way think that, man, I just, uh, uh, you know, I don't agree with this, husband and wife, you know, submitting and all this. But if you'll read that, if you read, the Bible says this over there, and it says wives to submit to your husbands. But what we miss is we miss the verse that is before that that says that we submit one to another. In other words, there's times as a husband that I have to submit to my wife. There's times that she submits to me, but, but, the, but the responsibility falls on the shoulders of the man. Now, here's the thing. I want to ask this question. If we brought your son or your daughter up here today, and we were to give them a, a microphone, brought them up on this platform, and we gave them a, a microphone... And I asked them this question. I said, I want to ask you this question. Your father, your daddy, what is the top priority in his life? What is the number one thing you see in your daddy or your father's life? What does he spend more time with? If we were to look at his financial records, where does most of his money go to? What is is first in his life? Is it his job? Is that what comes first? Is it sports? Is it playing golf or whatever it is? Is it watching TV? And there's nothing wrong with all those things done in moderation. Or how many would say, I believe that Jesus comes first in my daddy's life. I've seen him put Jesus first. He leads us to follow Jesus. When I look at my daddy, he reminds me of Jesus. C.S. Lewis once said that if everyone is running towards the cliff and you're running the other way, they will think you're crazy. 
And let me tell you something, any man in here that is really not running for the cliff and trying to stand and do what Jesus wants them to do, I'm telling you right now, the world will think you are crazy. Now Jesus said it another way. He said, if they persecuted me, you're going to be persecuted. Peter asked the question, he said, when all men shall come to you and ask you for the, the, the answer to the promise of why you believe, what will you say? My question in all that is, have you been asked lately? Because if we're not being asked, that means we just look like everybody else. We're, we're, we're just living our life going with the flow. And we're not living our life contrary to this culture that we're living in. How in this time in history we need men who the world thinks is crazy to be running the other way, to be leading their family the opposite way the world is going. The Bible teaches that in divine order that God created man first. He was created in the image of God. Verse, verse 27 of that says simply this. It says, so God created man in his own image. Notice this. God was created in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created. Notice that. He created him male and female. The Bible teaches us that, that he created male and female. He said there's two genders, not three, not how many. In Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and he put him in a garden called Eden to tend and keep it. But notice that God created man for a purpose to fulfill and to be busy, not just to sit down. In other words, he created man to work and not just sit down. And before the fall, work was not a curse. It was a blessing to be able to work. It is a blessing to try to achieve and do something for the kingdom of God. Why did God create a garden for a man to be put into? Well, I believe this. In Genesis 1-1, here's what, here's what it says. In Genesis 1, it says this. If you'll turn over there, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, notice this. God created the heavens and earth. Now, go to Genesis 1-2. And the earth, all of a sudden, the Bible says that the earth was out form and void. And then it says this. And darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Where did this darkness come from? I believe with all my heart, why was the earth with form, void, and darkness on the face of the deep? The Spirit of God was hovering. Why? Because I believe this is where Satan entered into the earth after being thrown out of heaven. The Bible says this over in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 and 13. It says, Son of man, take up a a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him thus says the Lord God you are the seal of perfection this is talking about Satan because in Ezekiel he switches from one thing to the other you were the seal of perfection he's talking about Satan full of wisdom and perfect in beauty Satan at one time was the most magnificent angel that God had ever made he goes on to say you are in Eden where was Satan he was in Eden the Garden of God, every precious stone was your covering. He was beautiful. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald and gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. In other words, he, his, his whole body was like a musical instrument. You wonder why it is that many churches, when they have splits and other things, that the primary cause many times is praise and worship. 
is because Satan was over-praising worship. He was over-praising worship uh, in, in the kingdom, in, in heaven. But the Bible says, so Satan was thrown out of earth along with one-third of the angels. Man was then told God placed Adam in a garden, and his job was to work that garden and watch over it in, two, in chapter 2, uh, verse 15. Here's what it says. And notice this was before Adam. And I, here's what I want you to understand in 2.15. It says, Then God, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And I want you to notice something else. This was also before he had a wife. This was also before Eve. Man was then told God placed Adam in there. And notice this was before. To tend and to keep it. You see... God had a relationship with Adam. And I want you to understand something. That real men are defined by the relationship between them and God. Not their relationship with their relationship to other humans or their career, but the relationship with the Lord. Yes, you need you, you cannot have a you cannot have a vertical relationship with God without a horizontal relationship with people. I understand that. But the number one thing, when people ask you who you are, what you do, whatever, you ought to say, I am a child of the living God. I am a, a, a son of the living God. God asked Adam to work in the garden, to cultivate it, working the ground and bringing out the hidden potential, all of that God had made. But to eventually expand that garden, he put him in the garden, why? To protect him from Satan. To eventually expand that garden by expanding God's kingdom to cover the entire world, which one day will encompass this entire world. This is why Jesus said, he prayed when he said, Thy kingdom, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants his will to be done over the entire encompassing of the entire earth. But Adam had another responsibility. And that was he was to guard and to protect the garden, that which was under his responsibility. That meant the only threat in existence at that time was Satan. He was to keep him out of the garden. You and I were created to demonstrate God's great glory. The Bible says in, in Psalms chapter 8, verse 4 and 5, here's what it says. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. We were made to bring glory and honor to him. We all know the story of the original sin. In Genesis 2, 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, we know that they didn't die physically because they lived, all of them, both of them lived to be 920 years old. But the moment they partook of that, they died instantly, spiritually. They were separated. The spirit of man was separated from God. This is why Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to say something else here. That he was not to partake. One commandment, God gave him one commandment. One commandment. When Jesus was asked to command, the Pharisees had 350-something commandments. Jesus only had two. They asked him, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? You're to love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. That was it. That's all he said. God, God just had, he had one commandment, and we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. 
The Bible says, well, we want to, you know, I told somebody this morning, I said, you know, when we get to heaven one of these days, Adam is going to be the only one in heaven that has razor wire around his mansion because if we get him out of there, we're going to kill him for what he did. But the truth of the matter is we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, every single solitary one of us. So we're just as guilty as Adam and Eve were as to what they've done. But I want you to also notice something, that he was not to partake of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here it is, the woman Eve was not there. She'd not been created yet. She was not there. So Adam's job was not to allow anything into the garden that could destroy the relationship he had with the Lord. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy 2, 13, 14. It says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and this is what it says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This is why a man has the responsibility in this, not the woman. Because she was being deceived, fell into transgression. But Adam was not deceived. Why? Because God had directly told him not to eat. But also, his other, his other job was to convey the Word of God to his family. And not only to his family, but to convey the Word of God to his wife. His wife. And Adam had the responsibility to protect his home. And he didn't. He didn't. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he's denied the faith, and he's worse than an infidel. That's what God says. While Satan was talking to Eve, Adam was over here looking around like this. You see that bird up there? I, I, I named that bird. That's a, that's a pigeon right here. And Satan is talking to his wife. I wonder what, what's going on in your home. I wonder what's trying to, Satan, you know, he is so crafty. What's he trying to get into your home with? Is he coming through the internet? Is he coming through some of the friends you let your kids run around with? Is he coming through the TV? Is he coming through all these? And I'm not saying all these things are bad. But I'm saying to you, if you don't monitor, if you're not aware, if you're not spiritually in tune because why? The Bible tells us that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit for their spiritually discerned. Neither can he know them. But it says the spiritual man, uh, he judges all things because he's spiritual. The Bible says that if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you get your family walking in the Spirit, your family won't end up getting into the problems of the flesh what it means and so while Satan was talking to Eve Adam's up here looking at the birds and everything else and he's got his attention someplace else until his home was destroyed but is that the same thing for us as men as husbands as fathers each of us has a garden or each of us has a home and the Lord gives the same responsibility that God has placed in our care Everything that you own, everything that I own, God owns first. You understand that? You don't believe me, he can take it away just like that. We're supposed to be stewards of the things that God's given us. And if he's not first in our life, when the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you, 
Well, what's the kingdom of God? When it says, seek first the kingdom of God, the Bible tells us over in the 14th chapter of the book of Romans. It says the kingdom of God is not food or drink. Did you notice not food or drink? The Bible says in the days when the Lord gets ready to come back, as it was in the days of Noah, what were they doing? They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. They were giving in marriage. In other words, eating and drinking. It says the kingdom of God is not food or drink. But then he goes on to say the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Where do we get a righteousness from? 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Where do we get our peace from? Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives I give unto you. Where do we get our, where do we get our joy from? The Bible says in the 16th chapter of the book of Psalms it says, in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You got to get in his presence. You got to get your family in his presence. So each of us has a garden or home. And the Lord gives us the same responsibility that God has placed in our care. Whether we're working in business, staying at home, working, caring for our children, or serving the Lord in some type of ministry, the Lord wants us to make his global purpose apparent in our homes. So do we as men and leaders of our homes keep the snakes out? That's what I'm asking. We have to realize there's evil forces at work that wants to destroy your home. I, I can't emphasize this. Enough. I can say this 1,500 times. There are evil forces at work right now that want to destroy your home. That want to destroy your home. And we're just like Adam. We're looking at the birds in the air and everything. And they want to take your children and turn them into people that you don't even recognize. Many have not taken that responsibility in, in raising their kids. We send them off to some public schools, public college, and, and we get them back, and then all of a sudden they're talking about things that, well, where in the world did you hear that at? Or where did you hear that, this that kind of thing? Where did you get that opinion from? Well, you know, and, well, I, I, Mom, Dad, I, I just don't see things the way you all. You all that's, that's fine for you all. See, see and, and even though maybe they're attending a church somewhere where what we hear now in, in the day and time we live in is progressivism. And, and progressivism simply means that the, they believe that the Scriptures now are fluid. What does that mean? Well, we, we adapt the Scriptures to our to our culture. No, we don't. Jesus said that man shall live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is what he says to us. It's the word of God that doesn't change. It never changes how we need to hang on to it. We have come to the realization that the woke generation, the gay generation, the gender dysfunction, abortion folks, this is, this is on purpose. And the mastermind behind all this is Satan himself. Let me say this. Young children don't know what they want. And the Lord has given you the parental authority to tell them. Have you noticed lately in the news this phrase, they're all our children? Have you noticed? The President of the United States said that. They're all our children. What's he saying? That you're on the verge of losing your parental rights. In some states it's already happened. 
It's already happened. You know, uh, they're trying to take away your parental rights. Never will forget one time when I was a principal, I had, a, I had this little girl, first and second, I mean, kindergarten, first grade, and I'm telling you what, she was a terror. I was standing in my office door one day looking out of the hallway, and, and, uh, and, and one of the classes was coming down the hall. Her teacher had put her outside the room to sit in a corner. And she was taking her foot and trying to trip all those kids out there. I, I, I brought her in the office, and, and she looked at me, and she said, she came around my desk, and she looked at me, you're not going to whoop me, are you? I called her mother, and her mother came in, and, and her mother, and, and, and I, would, I actually paddled kids right up to the day that I, I quit being a principal. Now, we didn't do it. We didn't do it to hurt anybody. And, and you know, the, the thing about it was, I used to, I, used to I, I had a paddle in there, and that sucker was about that long, had holes in it. And the little kids would come in there, and I would take a ping-pong battle that you couldn't kill a fly with and put it down my back of my britches, and I would stand there, and I'd hold that paddle out like that, and that kid, and I'd say, look at the wall up there, look, and I'd pull it up, you know, bam, whop, you know, and ah, like I'd haul like crazy. They thought they'd been hit with that big paddle. But I called this mother up one time, and I told her, I said, you need to come in here. And uh, we, I said, because we got some problems. And so I had her and the, the little girl in the office, the mother out there, and she said, I don't know what to do, Mr. Cruz. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I said, let me tell you what to do. I want you to go in that room in there, and I want you to spank her and let her know. Now listen, for all of you that don't believe in corporal punishment, nine times in the book of Proverbs it says, that you can use corporal punishment. And even says they're going to scream and holler, but you won't kill them. Amen? And she looked at me, and she said to me, Oh, Mr. Cruz, I can't do that. I said, Why not? She said, Because she's already told me if I did that, she'd call social services on me. I looked at her, and I said, Let me tell you what my mama would say to that. I said, after my mama had halfway beat me to death and they called the police on her and she'd come in and they'd handcuffed her, I said, she would look at them and said, can I just hug the little feller one more time? And they would, and she'd have had that around my neck on the ground again, choking the daylights out of me. I said, now get in there and spank her. And she did. You can't, you know, and so, uh, you know, nine times in the book of Proverbs, corporal punishment. And, and so, you know, listen at this, Proverbs 23, 34. Do not withhold correction from your child, for if you beat him with the rod, he will not die. We're not trying to hurt him or leave a bruise on him. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. In the message it says, don't be afraid to correct your young ones. A spanking won't kill them. A good spanking, in fact, might save them from something worse than death, is what it says. I used to tell kids all the time, I said, listen. I said, the Bible says this. If I, if I don't discipline you, it proves that I don't love you. That's the New, new Living Translation. I said, I'm going to prove to you I love you. I'm going to bust your butt. You know? So, the evil that we're seeing is intentional. And it comes, and it comes from the pit of hell. Listen, Adolf Hitler 
there was a quote that was over one of the doors in the concentration camps. And here's what it says. I want to raise up a generation of children that are devoid of conscience, impervious and relentless and cruel. That's what he said. How many believe that we're living in the last days? Amen. Well, listen to what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now the Spirit expressly says, In the latter time some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies of hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from fruit, foods which God created to be received in thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Listen to what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 9-12. through 12. The coming of the lawless one is accord to the working of Satan and all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved and for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness now maybe you're saying I won't allow that to come into my home and they may say well I have guns that's the problem we have to understand this is not a battle of flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle, and it must be fought on our knees. And may I ask your children, you know, may I ask you, have your children seen you on your knees? And have you heard of something called the Internet? There are people on there that want to destroy your home. Listen to this. Recently, a survey was done on children 8 to 12 years old, and they found they were spending five hours a day on the Internet. Children 13 to 17 were spending eight hours. Second, fathers and husbands have to understand that the spiritual level of your home is your responsibility. Let me say it again. The the spiritual level in your house is determined by you as a spiritual leader in your family. Listen to what it says in 23 and 25. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be of their own husband and everything. 25. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for does your wife know that you'll die for her? When's the last time you told her that you loved her? I, I heard one guy say, well, I told her I loved her when we got married. I thought that was enough. No. God has made women in such a way that they got to hear that they're loved. I mean that. Just like a man has been made in such a way that what what the... Uh, what they're looking for, they're looking for your admonition. They're looking for your, your uh, to, to look up to them. So, verse 26 and 26 says and that he might, listen to this, here's the responsibility. You say, well, she's supposed to be doing it. She goes to church. No, listen, 26, that he, because God's going to ask you this, that he might sanctify, set her apart, and cleanse her with the washing of the water By the word. What does that mean? That means you tell her that you love her. But you're in charge of putting the word into your family. And if you're not doing that, you're failing what God wants you to be doing. 
as a sanctify your wife, to set her apart. Don't allow anything that can come into your home that is not pure. Alcohol. I wonder how many people that brought alcohol into their home and now they have a child that is an alcoholic. And, they, and, and I've actually, I've actually I, I, was, I was teaching a drug and alcohol class over in Lexington one, one day. And one of the guys said, we got to talking about, you know, said, well, my parents told me that I didn't have to, uh, that I didn't have to go out and drink. That if I needed a drink, so we put it in the refrigerator, I could just go get it right there. And he went on to say, you know, you got to understand, this is about 15 guys, and most of them are working on their third or fourth DUI. And he says, I, I, he said, and it didn't, it didn't hurt me. I just let it lay out there for a while. I didn't say a word. And everything got real quiet. And they all started looking around one another. Finally, somebody spoke up and said, well, maybe it did. And it did. Drugs, you know, the computer. Where's your computer located? Oh, it's in a room. Okay. You say, I trust them. I, that's fine if you trust them. I, who I don't trust is those people on the Internet. I don't trust them. You know, porno. You bring that stuff in, what it's going to do to you. It will destroy you. Tell her you love her. 27 says, helping your wife to become, listen to what it says in 27. It says, that he might present her. Can you imagine a guy who's really worked on this, present himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy and without blemish, that you're presenting your wife to the Lord one of these days, and she's holy and blemish in this and way. Another thing is 1 Peter 3, 7. What's 1 Peter 3, 7 say? 1 Peter 3, 7 says this. It says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them that understanding, with understanding. Now, some of you, boy, that blows you out of the water, doesn't it? Because here's the thing. You're saying, you can't understand a woman. That's not what it says. Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. What does it mean as a weaker vessel? You've heard me do this before, but I'll tell you again. Cricket and I went one time up to Cincinnati, and we went to this train station up there, and they were having all this pottery stuff. And we walked in, started looking at it, and I picked up this, I thought was a vase. It wasn't a vase, it was a vase. I picked it up and turned it over and I looked on it and the price on it was $5,000. I put that vase down as quick as I could. I went to Walmart and bought me a vase for about five bucks. What God's trying to say to us, you treat your wife as if she is a vase, not a vase. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, so... Now, now, I'm trying to help you guys. And I know some of you don't want to hear this. Oh, Lord, to get me out of here, Lord. Here, let me give you ten words that every married man must master. Here's the first three. I am sorry. Here's, here's four, five, and six. I was wrong. 
7, 8, 9, and 10, will you forgive me? Those are 10 words that you need to master. Now, here we go. And, and, and there's three more words, I love you. Remember that, yes, opposites attract. Everybody says, oh, opposite. we're opposite. Yeah, but they also collide. Remember your vows, what you promise to do. What you promise. Don't allow beautiful snakes to crawl into your home. That Satan, the most beautiful creature of God created, but his, he turned out to be ugly. There are many things that come to us that appear to be innocent and beautiful, but they turn quickly to ugliness. And that moves you away from the Lord. One of those snakes is to become financially overly dependent until it affects the unity in your home. It's okay to have nice things, but seek the Lord's face before you go deep into debt. Listen, Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you ought to live by. What's it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. That's what it says. Now let me tell you a story. This is why you need to do this. Why do I need to trust the Lord? Let me tell you. I read a story the other day about a man by the name of Solomon Ginsberg. He was a Polish Jew. He became a flaming evangelist across both Europe and South America. In the 19, turn of the century, 1911, needing rest, he decided to head to America on furlough. His route took him through Lisbon, where he planned to cross the Bay of Biscay into London and then on to the States. Arriving in Lisbon, Ginsburg found the bulletin boards plastered with weather telegrams warning of terrific storms raging on the Bay of Biscay. It was dangerous sailing, and he was advised to delay his trip a week. His ticket allowed him to do that, and he prayed about it earnestly. But as he prayed, he turned to his WMU prayer calendar, and he found the text for the day was Deuteronomy 2.7. It says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all, all the work of your hands. He knows you're trudging through the great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. The Lord seemed to assure him that his long worldwide travels were under the divine protection. Ginsburg boarded the ship at once, crossed without incident, and caught the majestic in London and he transatlantic voyage and smooth sailing all the way to America. Only after arriving to the United States did Solomon learn that if he delayed his, his trip one week, he would have arrived in London just in time, just in time to board the Titanic. I'm telling you, God will help you make decisions financially and every other way if you, if you will let him. You know, so God is paramount in your home. Realize that you, because you're the spiritual leader in your home, you have the responsibility to see the Word of God as paramount in your home. Adam did not nail it down to Eve to leave the tree alone. Prayer before meals. Prayer with your children as they go to bed. Entertainment should be clean and inspiring. And you, yes, you set the habit of church attendance. Well, you don't have to. And I hear this. I get sick of hearing this. Well, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to go to church uh, to be saved. Tell that to some of these people in some of these countries. They won't let them go and see what they say. The Bible simply tells us in Hebrews 10, 
this is Jesus, not forsaking the assembling of yourself together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another so much as more as you see the day approach. I see too many people are doing shift work. They come when they want to come. If I don't want to come, I don't go. That's not what Jesus just said. He said we're not to forsake. And notice this, the assembling. I have people, well, I always start a home, a home church or whatever. That's not what it says. The assembling together of, of, of one another. You know? But let me ask you this. This is not, and, and why should you do this? What was the purpose? That you're here to exhort one another. Do you realize your presence here means something to other people in this church? That it makes them want to be faithful? And why should we, what would be the, not only the person, but what would be the reason, the more as you see the day approaching? Do we see the day approaching? I think we do. So I need to be in church. I need to be in church. So this is not your wife's responsibility. Don't let your children see you in the bed and your wife is getting them ready to go to church. And don't be a drop-off dad. The very reason that many young people when they're graduating from high school don't come back to church is that they have been dropped off and they see not the reality of Christ in their parents' lives. It's interesting, a study was done when children brought to church by their mother that 10 to 12% continue to attend. When both parents go, it goes up to 20, 25%. But it's really interesting that when their father goes, and even if the mother doesn't go, young people attending church goes up 35 to 38%. There's something about their father being that spiritual leader in that home. What it means. Now, here's the fourth thing. Because you're a spiritual leader in a home, when your kids are small, there's more dependence on their mother. But as they get older, the responsibility becomes more and more to the dad. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. What's train mean? It, mean, it, 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 it Does it say, uh, I don't do as I say, but don't do as I do? No. It means that they mimic what you do. To train means invest time with them, and they, that they understand that they are a priority in your life, uh, that, Father, you, you learn to listen to what they say and they understand their opinions are valuable to you. I used to love to write letters to my children when they were just little. Kids loved to get letters in the mailbox. And I would see something they'd done at school or something, you know, whatever, whatever they did, they cleaned up their room or whatever, and I'd write them a letter. And I'd tell them how much that I appreciated that and how much I loved them and cared for them. It's a little thing, you know, what do you, you know, this is what you do. You create moments in their life that they can, how do you, how do you get your kid to be a good parent? You create moments in their life where they'll look back and see what you did and then they will try to mimic what you did. And you let them know that you love and you, you care for them. There'll be times of discipline, but discipline must be fair. A verse of Scripture says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, nurture of the Lord. Uh, Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, at least they become discouraged. How do they become discouraged? Because one time if they do something that don't mount the hill of beans, and you just go ape on that, and here's something big, and you let it slide. They're confused. They don't know what to do. I also think there needs to be a time that you talk about, especially in the time that we're living, to talk about personal things like sex. And I mean that. 
Remember when your dad felt he had to have that birds and bees talk with you? Remember that? <laughs> I, I, I never will forget. My dad told me one time, we were at my grandparents, my dad told me, he said, uh, we need to walk out to the barn. <laughs> we need to walk out to the barn. So we go out there and, and, and he starts this birds. And I need to talk to you about the birds and bees. And, you know, and, and I'm telling you, it was awful. And it, and it, it sounded like we were putting a transmission in the 57 Chevy. That's what it sounded like. I mean, and I said, I'm good, Dad. That's okay. I don't need to. I don't want to hear anymore. So, I mean, you know, you, you got to use some wisdom in it. But, but, but you know, just, just don't, don't do that. Now, but the, the day has changed. And we're living in one of the most perverted times in human history. you got to talk about this thing. You know, um, how many, listen to this, and I put myself in this category. How many of us men would give anything to go back and talk to that 17 or 16, 17, 18, 19 year old kid that we were and tell him, man, don't make that stupid decision. And that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing you're, with your children. You're, you're, you're telling them, don't make that decision. You know, and you have the chance to help them to, do, to live right and not go through some of the things that you... That, but to emphasize to our kids that they're created in the image of God, uh, that they are not an accident. Oh gosh, there's so many kids think they're, they're, they're not love acts. That God created them male and female and talk about the, the, the ridiculous notion that a guy can have a baby. That our difference reflect their diversity of the Trinity because we were designed to mirror our Creator. That lays the groundwork for upholding the importance of heterosexual marriage as the foundation of the family fulfilling God's kingdom and agenda in history. And every chance you have, you need to tell that son that he's loved. Tell him he's loved. And tell him that he's a man. We're the only, we're the only, we're the only culture that doesn't celebrate manhood. The Jews, when a kid turns 13 to bar mitzvah, they celebrate him coming to man. We don't celebrate. You ought to do that. Celebrate he's a man. Celebrate he's a man. And do manly things. Do manly things. You know? Don't allow cosmopolitan in this culture to determine if your daughter is beautiful or not. Tell her over and over that she's beautiful. Don't allow this culture to demean her because she's not a certain size. Amen? And be involved in your kids' activities as much as possible. And know what they're learning in the classroom. I can say for sure, if you've got a kid who comes to school here, i walk down these hallways too many times, and I've heard what's going on in the classrooms, and I'm blown away and thank God for it. And I praise God for it. And our kids could sit down with you if they wanted to, and they could tell you what everybody believes. Well, not only what a, a Christian worldview is, but they can tell you what the Muslims believe. They can tell you what, what the Hindus believe. They can tell you what the Buddhists believe. Don't allow snakes to come into your house or your garden. Begin to take the words of Joshua into your heart and make them yours. 
Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, and you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Joshua 24.15, he says, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that are on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites of those land who you dwell. But for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And be able to come to the place and may it be said of you someday and you look at your kids or whatever, Joshua 24, 31. It says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who, have known, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Guys, there are snakes out there. And they want to invade your home. You know? One of the most tragic things I heard this past week. In Texas, they discovered this. All these people that are coming across the border, they, they discovered that the cartel who's sending them across, they're charging these people anywhere between eight to $10,000 to get across the border. And that's just the adults. They're charging anywhere from fourteen dollars to $16,000 for children. Why are they charging so much for children? Because they know there's buyers out there that will buy those children and take them and put them into sex slaves. We got a problem, guys. And there's snakes like crazy. But I want to tell you something. When the snakes came to Israel, they made an object that looked like a cross. And as long as they kept their eyes on that cross, the snakes could not hurt them or harm them. And the Bible tells us simply that if Jesus, Jesus, the pureness of Jesus, be lifted up. I will draw all men unto me. And that's what we need to do. They'll draw their children to them too. I was reading a thing this past week that when you talk about people like Matthew Henry, uh, Spurgeon, when you talk about... Spurgeon, when you talk about W.A. Criswell, when you talk about all these great men, Luther and all these others... You find out that they came to the Lord when they were like six and seven and eight years old. Don't tell me that God doesn't work with kids. When Jesus said, of such is the kingdom of God, he means it. Of the kingdom of heaven, he meant it. Oh, how we need to direct our kids and do everything we can and love them and care them and nurture them into the kingdom of heaven. We're going to have a verse of invitation. I don't know about you, 